The Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts Shelley and Bella. Everybody and welcome to episode 90 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. So we got one of our, remember in the olden days when we used to do the really wacky shit? Do you remember? The, the wacky sit? The wacky shit that was meant to be. I can't even swear properly today. I know. The wacky shit? Yeah, like, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, well, we got some wacky shit again today, haven't we? Hmm. I've always got wacky shit. Yeah, well, I got Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, so I've always (laughs) got wacky shit too. (laughs) But yeah, we're going to entertain you a little bit today, I think, with some of the crazy stuff that people used to believe at one point, which is there's some really weird stuff out there. And then later on, of course, we've got your regular visit with Richard Lenny with his UFO report and then author Ruth Roper Wilde with her paranormal report. Excellent. It's been an important day in the yes. history of America today, hasn't it? Yep, and all we're going to say is that the election is finally over. Yeah, and love each other. Yes. And that's it, just love each other, guys. Heal. The announcement was made five, ten minutes ago. Hopefully we can all heal. Yes, and move on. Speaking of moving on. Let's move on. What's the first thing you got there? In the 17th and 18th centuries, scientists actually thought that there were little teeny people inside sperm. There are little people inside sperm. 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 (laughs) That's an even better name than sperm, isn't it? Sperm. Well, there's like a half of one anyway, right? Oh, come on. We put them inside you. Who the frick is we? Blokes. I'm, I'm speaking on, on behalf of, of the male gender. Yeah, I was going to say. Put them inside you on behalf of the female gender. The whole entire male male population put it inside me. There's too many answers to that. <laughs> too many comments that could be made. No, are you as in you representing women? I'm just saying yes. there are people inside sperm, little babies. Okay. Yeah. Well... It makes more sense than there being a letter in there. Well, but if there's little people in there, well, then I, it's just, well, I mean, I guess we shouldn't really make fun of them. They figured out that that's what makes the woman have a baby. Yeah, but it does make more sense than a letter being in there, doesn't it? Oh, I've got a Y. It's going to make you pregnant. <laughs> is that right? Is it Ys that the bloke has got? Which is the male chromosome, X or Y? Women can only give Xs, so males XY. So we, we throw you either an X or a Y, do we? eloquently put but yeah <laughs> eloquently put we we ram in an x or a y is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah moving we on we deliver and we're like dhl oh my god just move on now dicks hoochies and well, i can't think of anything with l lips Good. Next, lips next one dicks hoochies and lips guys dhl what are you drinking over there? I, it's just like, it's just Vimto, but it's really, I don't know, I think someone's put something in it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, calling the gang, man. So, little people inside sperm. So, they realised that there wasn't in the end, did they? I guess, obviously, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, the next one that we've got. Do you know monks? Do you think you can believe a monk? Do you think that if you could trust anyone in the world, it would be a monk? He, he dedicates his life to, you know, meditation and trying to be at one with the world and spirits. And Turns out they're lying bastards. Right. Or certainly the okay. ones contained within this article, because in the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. the monks were actually like printers. So they would gather together all of the text and they would write it up in the modern language of the time. And so they had to write hundreds of books manually. Right. But they were making mistakes. Obviously, they're human. They make mistakes. So they invented, you heard me right, they invented a demon called <laughs> Titivillus. Now, figures it would have tit in it. I was going to say, you've got to wonder, haven't you? These guys, they, you know, they've been abstaining for how long? If they're going to make up the name of a demon, it's going to, it's going to have a tit in it, isn't it? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So Titivillus apparently was a demon that used to collect up all of the mistakes and then sort of throw them out. Okay. And that's why there was mistakes in the texts. Not that they were going blind from spending too much time away from women. <laughs> yeah. Thinking <laughs> thinking about Tivolus. Oh my, okay. Well, actually, I have one that we talked about. We talked about this like ages and ages ago about that pig that went on trial. There might be people that haven't heard of that. What was that story about? The one that we did years ago. Years ago, can you believe that? That we did years ago was about a pig who injured someone. Injured a child, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And they put him on trial, basically, and found the pig guilty. And so they hung him in the center of the square or whatever it was so that everyone could see this pig. Yeah, I think the pig actually killed the child, didn't it? Yeah, I can't so remember. So they killed the pig. Mm. Unbelievable. And then they had a big old bacon I wa- I fest. I want to know who was defending <laughs> the pig. You know, if they put the pig on trial, who was defending the pig? The local squirrel or, you know. yeah. That is interesting. Of course, it wasn't like that back then, was it? In the Middle Ages, they just were like, dead. They even subpoenaed caterpillars to come to court because they ate plants. Right. So, yeah, they they subpoenaed the caterpillars and (laughs) the caterpillars didn't show up. And surprise, surprise. So, um, <laughs> um, so, so they didn't show up, right? And then the town decided that they were ex- going to excommunicate all of the caterpillars. But when they fr- got there, the, the caterpillars were gone, but there was yeah. a fuckload of butterflies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they actually, I mean, this isn't, a lot of people probably could see this, that um, they used to execute cats because they were considered to be doing the devil's work, you know? So then what happened was there was like hardly any cats, right? So then the rodents came Mm -hmm. and then the plague came across Europe and then the cat population grew again. I'm telling you, cats rule the world. That's one of the reasons why I fear (laughs) them so much, honestly. Uh, Well, talking about tough guys, the gladiators. Remember in ancient Roman times, the gladiators? Well, Well, I don't remember them, but yeah. Really? No, I'm not quite that old, yeah. Okay. If I did, I'd be damn good looking for my age. (laughs) (laughs) So gladiators, a a lot of people just see them as these tough guy fighters, which obviously they were, but there was another side to it. They were slaves to a certain degree because they were held in in these sort of barracks and forced to fight and train and everything else. So yes, they turned into these really strong, fine specimens of men. Mm -hmm. However, as a result of that, obviously there was women and men 
back then who found these guys really attractive to look at and from that was born this obsession with their bodily fluids and so after they've had a battle or or even after they've been training or whatever they could actually sell their sweat they would scrape their sweat off of themselves using this metal implement which i i guess from the from the description of it sounds a bit like like a a human squeegee (laughs) well it sounds a bit like a scythe it's like a curled metal sort of thing that they would wipe over themselves and and they would then collect all of this i was going to say sperm but sweat yeah (laughs) and uh, also their blood so if they had any wounds on themselves from the battle they would actually allow people to pay to then come and suck the wounds and oh. suck the blood directly from them. Or they would drain it out and that sort of stuff. And in certain circumstances, they even had little stalls outside of the arena where they would sell vials, and it is vial, of their bodily <laughs> fluids. That's so disgusting. But they weren't only used as like a cream, so it would more often than not be wealthy women that would buy this off of them. So they wouldn't only use it as a cream and kind of wipe it on their face and stuff, but they would put it in cosmetics, they would put it in perfumes, and they would even drink it. Oh, no. Well, guess what? They also believed that evil spirits lived in Brussels sprouts. Evil spirits do live in Brussels sprouts because when I've eaten them, it tries to get out. (laughs) Yeah, it comes out your ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, in the Western countries, they so what they did was they would take the Brussels sprout and they would cut in the bottom of it like a cross shape, which actually just makes it cook faster. But they thought that by doing that, it would... Well, no, today, because I read that as well, and it said that today people think that it makes it cook faster by cutting the cross in it, doesn't it? Or it it does actually make them cook quicker? No, I think it probably does. It probably does, doesn't it? Because my mum always told me that you had to cut the cross in the bottom, but apparently it all came from that, like you said. No, I never. Trying to let the uh, evil spirits out of the... Well, I never heard of it before in my life. All the Brussels sprouts I ever had had a nice, not cut up bottom or top or... Whatever the heck that is. Their body did not have a cross in it. Right, okay. They, they were just yummy. I love Brussels sprouts. Oh, um, they're little fart bombs. Do you know they? what, though? Like, even as a kid, I liked Brussels sprouts. Most kids don't like Brussels sprouts. It's funny, because I... I used to like them as a young kid. Then I went through a, a stage of hating them, and then I like them again. I can eat fresh ones. Frozen ones are disgusting, mm, in my well. opinion. It's true, though, that your taste buds change as you grow. Yeah. You know, so there are certain things that, like coriander, I used to hate coriander. I love it now. Can't get enough of the stuff. Although yeah. you don't call it coriander, do you? You call it... Cilantro. Cilantro. Cilantro, That's it. Yeah. 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 Um. So anyway, yeah. So, and then, like, if you ate a Brussels sprout, like, that you didn't cut or whatever, it would make you sick. The reason Brussels sprouts would make people sick, and a lot of people didn't like them, is because that was due to the spirit. But really, I it was mean, just the that they hadn't that washed there. it, and it's not clean of, yeah. of whatever that it was growing in. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, why didn't they think that about other plants? Brussels sprouts can't be the only one that make you sick after. We were talking about... I don't know why I'm getting all of the male genitalia articles today. There was a, a certain variety of witches that it was said would steal male genitalia. And they actually communicated with them as pets. And they fed them. Now, I'm sorry... But if you're keeping cocks in a box or a cage or something like that, and you're talking to it, you're possibly a little bit screwy in the head. Look, but possibly, possibly. But if you're then feeding them, that's another level. But if the cocks are eating the food, 
They're <laughs> trying to get the fuck out. Yeah, right. Because nobody needs a hungry cock. No, well. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, nobody needs a hungry... That's not a cock's job. A cock, <laughs> a cock is due is is designed. It's supposed to put to little little expel. people inside exactly. of you. <laughs> exactly, it's not supposed to take stuff in. Okay, so so you got a hungry cock. Get the fuck out of there. They uh-huh. don't sell them at pets at home. I'm telling you that. <laughs> but you know there is a um a syndrome they say it's coro syndrome. I think that's when people actually feel that some of their organs disappeared. It's almost like a body dysmorphia thing, yeah, isn't it? I think. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. And then obviously the witches were then blamed for that. You know, I'm really surprised that people actually went after witches, to be honest. Because if you were that scared of them, you would think they'd have just been like, let's just leave them alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, but weird. All right. So another thing in the Middle Ages is that people thought that mold, worms, and insects just appeared out of nowhere. That That's how they You can understand that being. to a certain degree, though, can't you? I mean, I chucked away some bread today because it had mold grown on it. Now, this was mold that was inside a plastic bag with one of those little grippy tie things that we've got that we put over the top. Mm-hmm. So to all intents and purposes, without really any idea of chemistry and physics and biology, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily understand that there was little tiny microbes, bacteria or whatever in there that would cause that mold. Well, so I get that. I mean, I, I can understand like flies and stuff like that, right? But they also thought that mice and rats were that way too. And I mean, it's pretty easy to see how a rat or a mouse has a baby, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you've got to see them doing it, haven't you? I've got to be honest, and I've watched a lot of porn in my time. I've never seen rats fucking. All right, then. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have anything for that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Mind you, I have not gone on to ratporn.com. There's probably one there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you know bees were birds? No. Well, they're not. (laughs) <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's not what the medieval folk used to believe because they used to believe that not only were bees actually a type of bird, but they also believed that if a bee did something wrong and it didn't follow the rules of its own hive, then it would sting itself out of guilt until it died. Right. Mm. I guess the other thing that would be cool about bees is what, I mean, they didn't, you know, like birds produce poos, don't they? Poos and eggs. But but they they thought that they um, made honey. What, shat honey? Mm. You've got to think you're some pretty special person, haven't you, to, to think you shit honey. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right next to that person who thinks yeah. they can shit gold nuggets. Exactly. Yeah. You see that You see that gold liquidy stuff there? I shat that. <laughs> You probably have shot some gold liquidy stuff in your day, but tell um... me about it. Let me tell you. <laughs> and we're back to the colitis and Crohn's story of my life. So they also thought, by the way, that beavers were fish. What? Now I got to be honest, beavers smell like fish. Well, yeah, okay, okay. They swim. All right, I get it. All right, you're terrible. <laughs> you need to not put that in there. <laughs> okay, you'll take it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> it was just the fact that it took you like <laughs> 10 seconds to realize <coughs> what I'd said. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Well, apparently, their meat could be eaten during fasting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and apparently, beaver testicles. <laughs> 
were very valuable in medicine. <laughs> I'm cheerier. <laughs> no beavers and now have testicles. <coughs> so anyway, <laughs> people people hunted beavers in the Middle Ages. <laughs> And they believed that when a beaver realised that it couldn't escape being chased, you know, its pursuer, it bit off its own testicles and <laughs> ran away. <laughs> <coughs> oh, my goodness. Sorry. That was really childish. And yet incredible fun. <laughs> uh, they also used to think that babies couldn't feel pain. Which is very strange. They thought that the reason that they cried, it was just because they were being bad. But they really did think that babies couldn't feel pain. I read that. It was something to do with the fact that they didn't believe their brains were developed enough to be able to feel or process pain. But check this out. They only actually proved it wrong about 30 years ago. They may have proved it wrong 30 years ago, but I'm sure long before 30 years ago, they stopped doing surgeries without anesthetic on babies because that's just too inhumane to think about isn't it oh, well, yeah, knowing no, what I'm we know not, i don't think knowing it's, what we know now i mean so part of me's calling bullshit on that but maybe here's the um oh you've actually got a proper medical thing mm, and what does it say limited understanding of infant pain has led to its lack of recognition in clinical practice while the network of brain regions that encode the affective and sensory aspects of adult pain are well described, the pain structures involved in infant nociceptive processing are less well known, meaning that little can be inherited about the nature of, infant, of the infant pain experience. It would be nice to think that they don't feel pain, but yeah. I mean, when do they start to feel pain? Because, you know, when kids start teething... Well, and this this was a study then that was done in Oxford. I mean, ah. this is most of this is like well over my head, but we can always link to this page. So an fMRI, a functional MRI, reveals the neural activity overlap between adult and infant pain. Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah, we'll link to that as well. Keep hold of that link. Well, let's get on to crazy shit again. People believed that a certain combination of musical notes could actually summon the devil. Again, it was in the Middle Ages. Of course and it was. Of course it was. And the church wouldn't allow certain notes to be played in the church through fear of the devil being summoned. Now, if you're going to summon the devil, I would have thought the best place to summon it would have been a church because then you can kill you it. You can get rid of it, yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Well, can they go into churches? Well, I don't know. But I guess they hadn't watched that movie. Yeah. The music that they believed that would summon the devil is the combination of sounds called a tritone interval, which are three tones between the notes. It was that believed back then that if you were caught playing music with a tritone, you could be thrown into jail. Hmm. So the Vikings would let you put grooves in your teeth if you were considered to be a good warrior. Well, like, so, like sergeant stripes. Kind of, almost. They would go horizontally across the teeth. The more of these that they had, the better of a warrior they were supposed to be. I just wonder, though, like, what happened if they lost their teeth and they were still a good warrior? Then what? Yeah, yeah. Honest. Honest is like losing your ID these days, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what happened? No, but what officer, do you, what do you I do... keep them and carry them around in your little... Yeah, I suppose so. You could, couldn't you? Put it you? on necklace. This is me. Yeah, these are my teeth, honest. 
Yeah. It's, it's probably, like I said, the equivalent of getting pulled over by the police and them saying, have you got your driving license on you or your proof of insurance? You say, no, it's at home. And they go, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You go, no, no, I'm serious. It's at home. You, yeah, show me your teeth, you know. <laughs> But yeah. I guess that they, you could show them at any time, couldn't you? Because, you know, if someone was like giving you back chat in the bar, you just sort of like, I yeah, guess, the, show them your teeth and then they go, oh shit, he's got three bars. Oh yeah, it'd be like, bars. I'm going to kick your, oh no, no, it's okay. Yeah, he's got three <laughs> bars on his teeth. They still aren't sure whether it was the fact that it, it was it decoration or identification. They're not positive about that, but it's pretty yes. weird looking, isn't it? It doesn't I look mean, the look, best. You've got to be honest. So that's part of a skeleton that's obviously been under the ground for a while. So it's you're not. We're not seeing it in its entire context, but yeah. But look, look at the one tooth. It's split right down the middle. Well, what I was interested in there, and we'll link to all of this in the show notes, by the way. So if you want to have a look at what we're looking at, then obviously just go along into the show notes and have a look. If you look at the lines themselves, they are actually in line with each other. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like they've used a yeah, long look, look. blade that's gone the whole look, look, length look. of the teeth. This one here, right? You're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Next tooth. You're awesome, you're awesome. Next tooth. Well, you're kind of awesome. And then look, there's another one maybe, like they were getting ready to start it. Well, I wonder whether you could only have a certain number of lines per tooth. So is that actually... If you're just looking at those two front teeth, are they... That was six battles that you did really well in? Or is it that actually the one line going across all of the teeth is one battle, second line? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what I want to know is how the hell they managed to put them grooves in people without knocking their teeth out. Well, they used some kind of file, I would have thought. Mm. Yeah, you're a great warrior, but your teeth are going to fall out because we've just (laughs) fucked them up. I wonder if they'd be almost like the first dentists. Mm, Possibly. Instead of uh, now they stick gold and stuff in your mouth when you get cavities and that. They'd put those grooves in. (gasps) I wonder how people would go get it done as, like, like counterfeit. Yeah, yeah, probably, to, you know? to, to try and pretend to be someone else. Maybe that's like Viking tattoos, mm. you know, rather than, you know, we've got a, a thing these days, and we have tattoo in the skin. Maybe mm-hmm. they just used to mark the teeth in a similar sort of way. Maybe it's got nothing to do with being a good warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're just rebels. Yeah, maybe, yeah <laughs> rebels exactly. without a cause. Maybe it's a prison tat. <laughs> there's some really interesting stuff on here. There's there's some other things that we haven't mentioned, like the fact that people used to bury the heart separately from the person. There's something about an island, which I've got to say looks a lot like a dinosaur. They used to believe it just sank into the ocean. Yeah, some pretty good stuff on there. We'll link to this in the show notes. We're going to hand you over now to Richard Lenny with his UFO report. Take it away, Richard. Hi, this is Richard Lenny, and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful, talking to you live from somewhere on planet Earth. Well, I want to concentrate today on two things. I want to talk about spheres again, because they seem to be multiplying, and uh, we've just gone into another month now, Um, but last month, October, was very busy for spheres, and I want to talk about that. But before I go into that, I just want to also talk about missing 411, people that are missing in our national parks, because I've had a bit of an update on it. And um, I mean, people that go missing right next to you, you could be in a park with your friend, you know, a relative, you turn away, you turn back and they're gone. And I mean, they're gone, gone. You know, they're right beside you, um, a small boar could be bouncing still if, if it was a child that was playing, you know, um, he's gone, but the ball is still bouncing. You know, you hear these stories 
Um, it doesn't discriminate either. You can be a child, you can be an old person, you can be black, white. I mean, you know, male, female. But I had a um, an idea actually about taking a fleur gun into one of these parks and seeing if I can catch anything in the long wavelength of the infrared. And um, because uh, people have caught strange anomalies, and I thought maybe we could use a fleur gun and, and try that. They're very expensive, but, you know, that was one way of going about it, trying to catch what could be taking these people. But I've had another uh, interesting... Uh, how can I put it? It's... It's an idea that's been put to me, and I like it. And that is, maybe, when the conditions are right, a portal opens up, like a, a wormhole, a portal of some kind, and the people just go straight through it. So a person could be standing right next to you, but the portal will open up onto the left side of you, and that person will see a door opening and then just walk into it, and they're gone. Um, if you go on the NASA web page their official nasa website they actually have a whole thing on portals they think they could exist now it's a possibility i'm not saying i mean this is only a theory like with most things i mean i don't know i don't have the answers you know um i can only go by my research and, and what people have told me that they've seen and then we put it all together and hopefully we've got a you know a good picture but there is a possibility that there is wormholes opening up, portals, if you like, you know, um, all over the world. But they seem to concentrate in national parks. And I find that fascinating because there's something going on in these national parks. And, you know, <laughs> you don't have to be Einstein to work this out. There is definitely something going on. Whether there are tunnels underneath, people say there are, that were put there by the military years ago. Um, ley lines go through these national parks. Yes, this is all true. You know, but is it possible that maybe when the conditions are right, something, some sort of an energy produces this doorway, if you like, that opens? Now, going back in history, Apparently, people have seen these doors. They call them doors because that's the only way they could explain them. They see a door open, they walk through it, and they go into utopia, or they go into a completely different realm. But they come back out again, and they tell the story, which is why we know about these doors. They don't die, they don't disappear and not come back. So, I find it fascinating there are obviously portals around the planet. These doors do exist. I'm sure of it. I put money on it, you know. But is it, is it the cause of what's going on in national parks? I'm going to say yes and no. The reason I'm also saying no is because a lot of the time people eventually are found, but unfortunately they're dead and they had their feet cut off and their clothes are piled up neatly next to them. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know whether it started out as a portal, they went through it, and then something else brings them back out months later, years later, or days later, and, and put them up against a tree. 
or whatever, you know, with their legs, um, not their legs, uh, their feet uh, severed. Uh, by the way, we never find the feet. The feet are never found. They're gone, but they're never found. Um, their clothes are neatly piled with their shoes on top. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, I know. It's something out of a horror movie, you know. It's something out of a fictional um, horror story. But it's true, and it's going on, and it's been going on for a long, long time. It's been going on for, I believe, centuries. So, but I think portals have got something to do with it. Now, there was, um, uh, I can't remember his name, so you're going to have to forgive me on this one. There was a scientist who apparently worked for NASA at some point on their rockets. He went out to one of these um, canyons, one of these places, you know, national parks, and he did an experiment. And he found um, where the energy was really high. He put a tripod up. In this area and he put a laser on top of the tripod and then a few uh, feet down he put another tripod up and then he put um, a, a hexagon style lens optics on top of that and what he was going to do is fire a laser at the uh, glass optics and then obviously that will reflect the laser back and it should come back at a 0.0, but it didn't. It came back at 0.6, so it was off. And basically, something was interfering with the with the light. It was bending the light as it was coming back, which of course it shouldn't be doing. It should be 0.0. So this is telling us, and this was done scientifically. This was all research that was carried out. They did it three or four times because they thought maybe they made a mistake, but no. At this particular area where there was a very strong sense of, of uh, something, you know, where this was an area where people had gone missing, by the way. Um, they decided um, to to set up this experiment and the laser was off by by um, 0.6, which it shouldn't have been. It should have been 0.0, .0 you know. So it's showing you there, scientifically showing you. That there's something going on it's bending light and it shouldn't be bending light at all it should be coming back completely the same at the same angle coming straight back on zero so there's definitely something going on 100 that is fact whether it is something to do with um the energy being so great that it does open up a portal at certain points and people walk through it and don't come back you know that is a possibility but it's something to think about anyway. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you guys. Be interested to see what you think. Um, do you think that portals do exist? Uh, NASA do. Like um, when they weren't sure about black holes to begin with. Well, we know now black holes do exist. But talking about black holes, actually, um, it sucks light in. It sucks everything. Nothing escapes a black hole. But if something can go into a black hole, then surely something can, can come out of a black hole. So it's like a portal in a way. Something can go in, something can also come out. And I think this is what's going on. And maybe this is where all these UFOs are going. Maybe they're using black holes as a portal um, to go from one dimension to another. How about that? Yeah, that's a possibility, right? I mean, go to the nearest black hole, go through that, and then you're back to where you were originally. So throwing that one to a side, think about it. Maybe 
you know, that's what's going on in our national parks or it could be one of the things that's going on. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, oh, I'll leave a link down below on that as well, by the way, because I did write, do a write up on that. So I'll put that in the link for you to have a look at. The next thing I want to talk about basically is just spheres. October was very, very busy for these spheres. Remember I talked to you about how you can see them during the day, get a cheap camcorder, make sure it's got a thread on the lens, has to have a threaded lens, okay, because you need to put a filter on the front of it and you need to put a massive 750 or 850 infrared filter. They are the best to get the best quality. It's got to have night shot. It's got to have, you know, the, uh, the infrared facility on there. So you put the night shot to on, you've got your filter on the front, you set your zoom to infinity, you're using it during the daytime, not nighttime. Go out into your garden at three o'clock in the afternoon, blue sky, beautiful day, Sunday afternoon, pan the sky, within 30 seconds, I will guarantee you, you'll pick up one of these spheres, if not two or three. Record them, show them to your friends and say, there you go. These things, guys, are all around the world. 24-7, 365. If there's a disaster, if there's like an, an eruption, a volcanic eruption, an earthquake, a boat uh, capsizes, you know, twin towers, anything. There's spheres there, they're observing. I personally think they record what's going on. Obviously, I don't know. I'm only assuming this, but they're observing. So I'm sure they've got the ability to record as well. They were seen every single day in Vietnam. Ten years, these American soldiers were seeing these things. They even had a nickname for them. They were called enemy helicopters. They thought Charlie had some sort of secret weapon. Um, yeah, you know, they're seen all the time. Well, anyway, October, just gone, was a really busy month. Um, nearly every day I was getting people sending me stuff from NASA from their live feed off the ISS. Their spheres coming out of the planet. They're coming off the Earth's atmosphere. They're coming in space. But there's a lot more of them than usual. Nearly every day people are seeing them. There's guys that watch them all the time, you know, watch the live feed. I used to do it. You know, I used to use um, that as a, as a point of reference, you know. Guys, you know, go to the ISS live feed, high definition, um, when we used to have the two, remember, they cut one now, we've only got one left. Oh, it was brilliant. And then, of course, the camera would switch, wouldn't it, to another camera. You know, if you're pointing out into space, you see these things flying around. And then the next thing you know, the camera's pointing down on Earth. And you think, yeah, there you go. They've got somebody, I'm sure of it, that actually monitors the monitor. They're actually monitoring the live feed. And when they see something unusual, they'll switch cameras. But these guys, they have a bathroom break. They have a lunch hour. And when they're on their bathroom breaks, when they're on their lunch hours and these things appear, then they don't switch the cameras and they stay on them. And that's when we get to see them properly. That's when we get to see what they do. And, you know, we can observe them a lot better. Otherwise, you only see it for a few seconds and then the camera's switched. Well, anyway, this last month, there's been so many so many videos that people have picked up of spheres leaving the Earth's atmosphere, going into space. They seem to be tumbling as they're going into space. And people are saying, oh, it's just space debris, you know, stuff coming off the ISS. No, 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 no. Because the majority of the times you can actually see them. It actually comes out of the Earth's atmosphere 
and then shoots into space. It shoots past the ISS and it's gone. These are the spheres that you can see with the camcorder. I've sort of been doing research on, on these spheres now for over 10 years. It's been my passion to find out what these bloody things are doing, you know. Where do they come from? Where do they go? What's going on? Why are they up there 24-7? You know, why don't they come down to Earth and land? What, what is the point of them? Who's controlling them? You know, because they're intelligently controlled. And we still don't know all the answers. I can tell you that a lot of these spheres, when they leave the Earth's atmosphere and go into space, they head towards the moon. Because we've tracked them with very powerful telescopes, thanks to Mr. Um, John Wilson for that one. He's a very good friend of mine. He's got a very powerful telescope and we've tracked them going to the moon. We've tracked them coming. We've actually tracked them coming off the moon and coming towards Earth. So if they're going towards the moon and they're coming out of a crater. Yeah, guys, coming out of a crater and coming off the moon, coming towards Earth. Then I think we can safely say there's a base on the moon. OK. I mean, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work that one out, right? So there is a base on the moon. I think, you, you know, I think we can be basically 100% certain on that. Because, uh, trust me, it's not CGI. We've got video proof of this. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've seen it live. We've seen it actually happen, you know. So we know there's something going on there. So we think the moon is one of the bases that they go to. Um... And I suppose they take all the information with them. And these spheres, how do they get here? You know, well, yeah, they come off the moon, but I think they come from other places as well. And there's somebody controlling them because I personally think, and so does John, so does other people, other ufologists, we believe they're drones, okay, because they're not that big. They're about the size of a small 1960s Austin Mini in spherical form. The metallic in structure from what they look like because they reflect light from the sun. They look very metallic and they're controlled by something that's up there in space. I'm sure of it. They record what's going on. They're interested in wars. They won't interfere. But if you do anything nuclear or if they think that you're going to damage the planet in any way, they will interfere. They will come down and they will shut you down. And this has been seen many times. But otherwise, they'll just let you kill each other. They'll just let you carry on with whatever you're doing. But they will observe and we believe they do record. So basically, that's it, I think, today. Um, I just wanted to say that these spheres are now becoming even more busy. They're up there. There's loads of them. There's more than ever before. So really, this is the time, guys. Get on eBay. Get a £60 or $80 camcorder off eBay secondhand. Make sure it's got a screw-threaded lens. Make sure it's got a nice shot. Get that infrared filter. And bang, for a hundred bucks, you got yourself the equipment that you need to record these things. And then you can show them to your friends and say, look, guys, these are the spheres that are seen in space. These are the spheres that are on our moon. And these are the spheres that are in our skies. And with that, I'd just like to dedicate this program to uh, Sir Thomas Sean Connery, who passed away yesterday, um, 31st. Halloween. He was a good friend of my uncle's. He used to go to my uncle's restaurant a lot and he was a bloody nice bloke. And it's uh, a really, really sad weekend for me. I'm recording this on the 1st of November 
And um, yeah, I just want to dedicate this program to to Sean Connery, um, who passed away on the 31st of October. And with that, this is Richard Lenny signing off for the weird, wacky, wonderful. Thanks once again, Richard. Amazing, as always. And now we're going to hand you over to our... Spooky lady. (laughs) Our spooky lady. (laughs) Hand you over to author and researcher, Ruth Roper Wild. Hi, everyone. Well, Halloween has been and gone, and with it all the ghosts that traditionally come out on that one night. In my book, The Almanac of British Ghosts, there are 16 different ghosts listed as anniversary ghosts for that one night alone around the country. An anniversary ghost is one who supposedly only haunts on one night of the year, usually as an anniversary of their death or other significant event. Let's start then with one of the tales from that book, which lists out all of the anniversary hauntings I could find reference to around the British Isles, and any accounts I could find where people had actually seen them. So although we won't be allowed out for November the 29th this year in the UK or in Ireland, spare a thought for the current owners of Folksrath Castle, County Kilkenny, in Ireland as this might very well be a night when they experience the supernatural. This castle was actually a fortified tower house and has been through various iterations and rebuilding since at least 1349 AD. It spent quite some time as a youth hostel from around 1949 until 2009 or so, but it is currently privately owned as far as I can tell. There is a legend that one night a guard who was supposed to be on watch on the battlements fell asleep during the English Civil War at a time when many of the lands previously held by families loyal to the Crown were being given away to Oliver Cromwell and his supporters. Fulcrath was given to one of Cromwell's officers, a man named Bradshaw. The family who owned the land originally were magnanimously allowed to go on living on and working the land around the castle, but now in the name of, and into the coffers of, this usurper. Clearly this was a volatile situation, and likely to flare up at any moment due to the sheer injustice. The lazy guard was discovered snoozing at his post, and the master of the house was said to have been so incensed with rage at the dereliction of duty that he grabbed hold of the hapless young soldier and flung him over the parapet to his death on the cold stone below. Now every year on the anniversary of the soldier's death, it is said that his footsteps along the parapet can be heard, followed by the sound of a door opening and closing, as he tries to make amends by performing his duty in death, as he should have done in life. So now we're headed into the darker winter nights, cosy evenings curled up in front of a warm fire, listening to the rain lashing against the windows, and wishing we weren't going back into lockdown yet again. So stay safe everyone, tuck yourselves in, and curl up with a good podcast or two, or a good book, to while away your time. And maybe dream a little about getting away once the days start to get lighter, and hopefully restrictions start to lift. What better place to think about than going to stay than Bodmin Jail in Cornwall? Yep, you heard me. Bodmin Jail, famous for centuries of misery and hauntings, has been converted into a luxury hotel. You can book rooms from February 2021 and actually stay in this amazing old location. They've even got some dog-friendly rooms, so if, like me, you like to take your furry friend ghost hunting with you, It sounds like a bit of heaven right there. Some of the rooms are in the former jail cell areas and feature the stone walls and even artwork depicting some of the inmate stories. The rooms are truly luxurious to look at. Visit the website and you'll see what I mean. 
You can eat in the converted prison chapel or even in the Jolly Hangman Tavern part of the hotel. You'll be staying in a place where 55 executions took place within its formidable walls and where most of these executions were viewed by the public. Thousands of people would have made a literal day trip out of going to watch a hanging, which is such a gruesome thought to our modern mindset. The last person taken to the gallows was William Hampton, who in July 1909 paid the ultimate price for taking the life of his 17-year-old girlfriend. He was also the last man to be hung in Cornwall. If you do go, take your camera and your EVP recorder. You never know what you might find that goes bump in your bedroom in the middle of the night. Alternatively, if you want to really splash out a bit, why not buy a haunted pub? Lancashire Live reports that the historic Swan and Royal in Castle Street, Clitheroe, is up for sale now that the current owner is planning to retire. It's up for a snip of a price too, at less than 75000 It has had its share of famous guests over the years, welcoming some really renowned guests such as Mahatma Gandhi and Winston Churchill back in the day. It also had rock band Jethro Tull staying there once. And apparently, it also comes with its own resident ghost, a teenage bride-to-be who weeps in its corridors. The story goes that Annie Dunce, aged 17, was due to be married to her fiancé, but he was a soldier and was sent to fight in the Zulu Wars of 1879. He lost his life in the Battle of Isandlwana, which was a decisive Zulu victory in the conflict. Unfortunately for Annie, she was pregnant carrying his child, and whilst they might have gotten away with illegitimacy had her fiancé lived to marry her, as it was, she was left an unmarried, pregnant teenage girl whose parents withdrew their support because of the shame of it. She apparently went to the Swan Royal because that's where she had stayed with her fiancé and conceived their child, and there she committed suicide. If true, that is such an incredibly sad, sad tale, and I wonder if any of you listeners have ever heard The Weeping Ghost? Please write in if you have. I can be contacted on wa-1400 at outlook.com. In fact, remember to write in to me if you have any spooky tales to share. I'm nearing the end of writing book number five, which will hopefully be published in just a few weeks. But we'll soon be starting on book number six, I expect, since I seem incapable of persuading myself to take a break from researching for the next story. Speaking of stories, I wanted to share with you an encounter from my fourth book, These Haunted Times, Volume 1. There are, by the way, brownie points to be had here, if you can guess the title of book number five. I find this story particularly creepy, as it's kind of every driver's worst nightmare come true. I found it hard enough to drive anywhere alone after dark, after writing the roadmap of British ghosts, and this latest account really isn't helping with that situation. This encounter happened in Norfolk, along the Watton Road towards Great Cressingham, not far from Ash Hill. A gentleman wrote to tell me about the creepy experience he had one night driving home from visiting a friend. This was a visit he made often, and was a trip he was thoroughly used to driving, down the narrow lanes through the flatland around the area of Norfolk where he lived. He recalled that this particular occasion was midweek sometime, and it was late at night, well past midnight. He'd been visiting his best friend, who lived in Ashill, on an icy night when there were very few other vehicles out and about. He drove down Cressingham Road, onto the junction to Watton Road, where he turned right and headed towards Great Cressingham. He drove around a few minor curves in the road, 
and onto what the locals know as the Cressingham Strait. As he turned onto that bit of road, he noticed a faint glimmer of something out of the corner of his eye down in the passenger side front footwell of the car. He turned his head to look and saw something metallic, squarish in shape and shiny glinting in the dim light provided by the quite bright moonlight which was shining into the car on this clear and cold night. Immediately as he looked, he noticed that the metallic object which had caught his eye was attached to a leather strap on a black boot. At first, it seemed barely visible, but to his horrified fascination, it seemed to grow more substantial even as he glanced over at it. The boot became attached to a leg covered in dark liver-covered fabric with a defined crease down the centre line of the trouser leg. His eye travelled fully upwards into the passenger seat where he saw buttons on the double-breasted front of a jacket made out of the same liver-coloured material. He described the jacket as looking like one of those the Beatles used to wear, but in much thicker, heavier material. Now, all of this had happened in literally the couple of seconds it took for the movement of his eye from the footwell to the actual seat next to him. And even as he looked, proper panic was starting to set in, and he realised he hadn't taken a breath. And even as his panic mounted... The face above the body on the passenger seat came into focus, pale but somehow with a faint greenish tinge to it. The eyes were badly sunken, like those of someone who had been awake for days and was seriously exhausted. Their eyes met briefly for a split second, and as the apparition reached towards the handbrake in the centre console, it seemed to emit a low sound of woe, like someone would say to slow down a horse. Our poor witness by this time had shrunk back against the driver's door as far away as he could physically get and momentarily completely forgot to steer the car. Naturally, the car immediately started to drift off the road and he felt it start to mount the grassy verge. He grabbed for the steering wheel to save himself from the impending crash and in the same instance realised that the apparition had blinked back out of existence. My correspondent was 19 years old at the time and still lived at home with his parents. He doesn't remember how he made it home from there. He was in such a state of shock and panic. Normally, he would creep silently into the house and off to bed without waking his parents. But this time he stood shaking in the kitchen and just shouted for his mum. His mum came rushing down the stairs to find out what was wrong, recognising instantly the panic and fear in his voice and assuming he must have been involved in some sort of accident. Her son tried to tell her what had just happened to him, but he was so terrified and shaken up that he just kept stuttering at her and couldn't get his words to form properly. His dad came downstairs as well, and the parents tried to calm their terrified teenager, attempting to find out what had gotten him into such a state. Eventually, after about half an hour, he had stopped shaking enough to tell them what had happened to him. It was eight weeks before he could bring himself to drive anywhere after nightfall, always making sure he was home before full darkness fell, which for a teenager with his own car is quite a shocking level of reaction. Today, he describes the whole episode as distressing, even to recall, but remembers that other people had often said they had the creepy feeling that someone was in the back of their car whenever they drove down that stretch of road. Well, that's it from me this month. Don't forget to write to me with your encounters, or to tell me if you have any particular topics you would like me to cover in future episodes. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and hopefully we'll get through the difficult times together.
Amazing, Ruth. Thank you once again for sending that in. That's absolutely amazing. I've got to say that both Richard and Ruth are getting some really good comments from our listeners. They certainly love them being on the show. And we love them too. Obviously, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We won't be doing an episode, by the way, folks, in January. We're going to give ourselves Christmas off. So if you haven't listened to our back catalogue, that's a good opportunity to do it. So you'll get our show as normal during December. And then January, it's going to be quiet on this side. And then we will come back to you in February. And that means that we also give Ruth and Richard some time off as well. Because they've been working really hard. And we don't get paid for this, so they don't get paid either. So they're doing it purely because they love the subject and they love bringing it to you. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. You can Instagram us at at weirdwackywonderfulpodcast. You can catch up with us on our Facebook by going to at Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories Podcast on there. On Twitter, we are at the WWW Podcast. And obviously, you can contact us via the website, which I've already given you the address of. No excuses. No excuses, y'all. We're going to love you and leave you. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm going to go and put my cock in a box and... Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Ain't going to be this box, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I meant like as a pet. I'm gonna go and put my cock in a box, but oh, I didn't okay. think about. Okay. The only thing about doing that is you're gonna have to chop it off first. Yeah, no, it ain't happening really. <laughs> you know. Maybe we'll go eat some Brussels sprouts. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. You can eat some Brussels sprouts. I'll make sure the toilet door's open for you. Nice. Doesn't make you pale, it makes you fart. No, I meant so that I can be sick from all your farting. Oh, oh, I see, right, okay. Mm -hmm. Right, take it easy, guys, and don't forget to remain weird fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Just checking. Uh Weird, Weird, wacky, wacky and and wonderful. wonderful.